Father in heaven, thank you so much for what you said in John chapter 7 verse 37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to you and you will give him the water of life freely. And God, right now we are thirsting for the water of life. We pray you would open up heaven to us during this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is good, right? You know, the, uh, all the time, God is good. You know what's so interesting? I actually um, had the privilege of being able to attend an interdenominational time of prayer. I sent an email out, um, and it was just a wonderful time. Saw some of our church members there. And uh, it was what was really good and cool about it was that when we actually had our National Day of Prayer, we had some uh, community officials come out to that. And so while they were there, they decided to invite us to their new um, uh, prayer time that they're having early Fridays. Well, I woke up Friday morning, I completely forgot about it, and literally, it started at 6.45 a.m., literally five minutes before, the Spirit of God came to me and just said, remember that prayer um, time. And I was like, oh, there, I, I haven't taken a shower, I mean, I just look really scraggly, I'm not going to this. And, I, and the Lord kept saying to me, you need to go. Finally, I said, okay, I'll go. I get there late, and it just turned out to be a wonderful time prayer. There was about 20 people praying there, and there was about five or six pastors there afterwards. And, uh, you know, being a good Adventist, I started giving one of them health advice. But um, I talked to another pastor. Uh, he's not here today, but he said something to me that was very interesting. He said, what Adventist church do you attend? And I said, well, I attend the Series Adventist church. And he said to me, you know what? I've been driving by that church. And let me tell you something. The Spirit has been impressing me, telling me there's something I need to learn at this church. I said, you're always invited, brother. 1045 Saturday mornings. And he said, I'd like to attend. God is doing some amazing things. Amen. And our hearts and minds need to be open to what the Lord is doing. He is moving all around us. There's providences taking place like never before. And God wants us to be awake to these things. He gives us opportunities. And it's our job to take advantage of those opportunities. God will not force you into those opportunities. But when He supplies those things, then you need to step forward and say, Okay, God, this is a time that may seem uncomfortable, may seem inconvenient, may put pause on my life. But I'm going to step forward on this. And you will discover there are greater blessings in store for you than you ever imagined before. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to tell you about a time that really wasn't providential. It really wasn't a time that I would say, I can look back and I say, wow, that was a wonderful experience. Uh, there's been many times in my life that I have been humbled. And I praise God for the fact that He cares so much about me that He needs to humble me occasionally. I don't need humbling, amen? <laughs> of course I need humbling, just as much as you need humbling. And uh, one day, I was driving, uh, this was several years ago before I was a Christian, I was with my girlfriend at that time, and we decided to go out to this park, and so I, it was just a nice time at that park, and on the way out, I decided I was going to speed, try to show off. So I was speeding out of this park, and as I was speeding out of this park, I was like, man, I'm looking pretty good speeding out of this park, trying to impress her. And all of a sudden, these lights come on, and it was the park ranger right behind me. He pulled me over, and he just gave it to me. 
And in my mind, I'm like, oh man, I deserve this. I deserve this. And you know what he said to me at the end? He's like, you know what? I'm going to let you guys off. I'm going to let you off. Don't do it again. This is a warning. Don't do this again, okay? I said, I'll never do this again. And so I was driving away. And in front of my girlfriend, I said, I did it. I beat the law. And I was just proclaiming myself as the king of the world. Because somehow I was able to convince this park ranger not to give me a ticket. It was actually due to his grace, not my own. But as we're driving out, I was just like, man, I did it. This cop got nothing on me. Dropped off my girlfriend at her house. As I turned around in the cul-de-sac, I was just driving. I reached to change the radio station. And my steering, bad, it has battle, my car has bad alignment. It turned to the right, but I wasn't paying attention to what was going on. And as I turned to the right, changing the radio station, all of a sudden I hear this. And I look over. And I hit a fire hydrant. Okay, now here's the thing. The fire hydrant was still in its place. But it was rumbling. It was like, boom, 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 boom. And it was moving back and forth. And I had this brilliant idea. I was like, I don't want to get caught. I'm not going to tell anybody about this. I'll just drive away. And as soon as I drove a few more feet, all of a sudden I saw the fire hydrant lift off like a rocket. It actually, like in my mirror, I saw it fly up and it disappeared. And I hear this boom, boom, boom. And this water started spewing out and I immediately drove a few feet. People came out of their house. They saw me and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm done for. And I was there and, you know, we called the police department. The police department came and this water was just spewing out of this fire hydrant or this place where the fire hydrant was and it was just spewing out on the street. The police got there. They didn't know what to do. They just stared and looked and they said, we got to call the fire department. Fire department showed up as later, minutes later, and the whole street was getting flooded full of water. Then they couldn't put it out. Then the city people had to come out. And by the time the city people got out, the street was a lake. There were little kids actually playing in the water. I mean, it was bad. I was so scared, I even went up to the officer and I said, Am I in big trouble for this? And he just chuckled at me. I was so afraid to even call my mom and my dad. I actually called my sister up. And I was like, Anu, please don't tell mom and dad what I just did. And she's like... You're under their insurance. They're going to know. Well, it turned out 3,000 gallons of water were wasted that day. 3,000 gallons of water. That's a lot of water, right? A lot of water that was unused. A lot of water that was just wasted. You know, God has the water of life for each and every person. And this water is so wonderful. It's able to supply our spiritual need, our soul needs. But oftentimes this water is passed by or it's wasted when we turn away from it. What we're going to be looking at today is the story in the Bible where Jesus actually offers the water of life to a person. Everybody take your Bible. We're going to John chapter 4 today. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, a wonderful story in the Bible, but applicable to each and every person. John chapter 4 is the story of each and every person here as they are drinking from the water of life. John chapter 4. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. 
Now let's start with verse 6. This is very interesting. I want you to see how this starts off. Verse 6. John chapter 4, starting with verse 6. Notice what the Bible says right here. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus apparently was traveling. He had to stop in a place called Samaria. A place that was not liked by the Jews. The Samaritans were actually uh, people who had Jewish blood in them, but they were also mixed with many of the surrounding nations as well. So the Jews actually uh, termed them as half-breeds. They didn't like them at all. But Jesus, having to go to Jerusalem, has to stop in this place. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Now notice this wonderful part. Jesus, therefore, being what? Wearied from his journey. Now let's just stop. I want you to understand something so powerful about this. Notice what the Bible is saying right here. That apparently Jesus, the person that we say is God in human flesh... He got tired. The Bible actually uses the word wearied. It's where you're exhausted and you can't go on any further. Ladies and gentlemen, what is so awesome about the gospel is that when Jesus became a person, He became a person with the exact kinds of weaknesses that you have. You got tired, Jesus got tired. You got exhausted, Jesus got exhausted. You get hungry, Jesus got hungry. You get tempted, Jesus got tempted. When he became a man, he came into the mess of humanity. I just think it's a wonderful, even encouraging point to know Jesus got tired. Can you say amen to that? He was wearied. Worn out from his journey. Have you ever been at that place where you're just tired? And you feel like, I am just worn out from this moving and shaking. I'm worn out from this traveling. I'm worn out by all the activities taking a place. Guess what? Jesus felt that same way too. Notice what the Bible says next. It was about the sixth hour. The Jews began their, their, their clock at 6 a.m. And so noontime was actually the sixth hour. And so this is the time that the sun is overhead. And it's a hot day. This is Middle Eastern culture right there. So you can imagine that this was just a place where Jesus was exhausted. He was tired. It was hot. He was worn out. And all of a sudden, a stranger shows up. Notice what the Bible says next. A woman of Samaria came to what? draw water Jesus said to her give me a drink here he is the creator of the universe sitting at this well and he turns to this woman who has no idea who he is and he says can I have a drink of water now watch what the woman says take your Bible go to verse 9 Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And she was right about that. She was describing the situation between the Samaritans and the Jews. Let's continue. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you what? Living what? Water. Living what? You know what's so amazing about this point? 
Jesus turns the conversation around from his own needs and he turns to the woman and he says to her, if you know who you were actually talking to, like if you understood who it is you were having this conversation with, you would have understood him and you would have asked him. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's not just saying, well, you should have understood that this was God. What he was actually saying is if you understood the character of God, and what's the character of God? God loves to give. God loves to give. And he says, if you would have understood this, that you were speaking to the God who loves to give, you would have immediately turned to him and you would have said, can I have some water? And he would have given you what? Living water. Something so special that she had never experienced. Now pay attention, we're going to be leading to something. She had never experienced this before. And here she is, she's just having this unusual conversation with this Jewish man. And he's offering to her this living water. Quite confused. Notice what she says next. This is very interesting. Verse 11. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is what? Deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as the sons and his livestock? Verse 13, this is very interesting. Jesus said to her, answered and said to her, whoever drinks of what? This well will what? I want to read that one more time. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this well will what? Thirst again. Let's continue. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will what? Never thirst. You know, I feel impressed for us to pray right now. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, right now, we are just praying and asking for the Spirit of God to draw our minds to your word. Thank you for hearing our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's continue. Whoever drinks of this water will what? Thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will what? Never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in what? Him, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is very interesting. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. He's having this conversation with this woman and he says to her, Look, whoever drinks of this well again, whoever drinks from this place, this water spot, he says to them, they're going to end up thirsting again. And you know what that means? If they end up thirsting again, they're going to have to keep coming back to the same well. Ladies and gentlemen, what Jesus was describing wasn't just physical thirst here. He was describing something far more deeper. He was getting into the very needs of the soul itself. And he says, whoever drinks of this water, whoever drinks of the world, will have one reoccurring problem. And do you know what that is? They're going to thirst again. And again, and again, and again. You know what's very interesting? If you take a good look at the very people that the world glamorizes, the the very people that the world looks at and they say, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like this person. I wish I could emulate this individual. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to understand something about these particular people here. They are individuals who epitomize what Jesus says when he says, whoever drinks of this well will what? Thirst again. That individual right there, his name is Jack Higgins up there. He wrote the book, The Eagle Has Landed. Well-known author. Very wealthy. He was asked a question. Here was his question. If 
you could talk to your younger self, what would you say to your younger self with the experience you now have? And you know what his response was? His response was this, that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. That when you get to the top, there's nothing there. The other individual is Tom Brady in regards to what you think about Tom Brady right now. But what's very interesting, there's this old interview of him several years ago where he's talking before, um, I believe it was 60 Minutes. And, and the, the 60 Minutes um, news journalist says to him, here it is, man. He's like, Tom Brady, you've got Super Bowl rings. You've got multi-million dollars. You've got a beautiful house. You've got, a, you know, you've got all sorts of things. You've reached the top of success. And do you know what his response is? His response was this. Yeah, I have reached the top. And he kind of says in a way that makes you almost groan as you're hearing it. And he says, but what else is there? I really don't know. The news journalist responds and says, well, what do you think the answer is to that question? And he's like, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You know what's interesting? You can begin to follow just a, almost like a, a, a sequence you can see oftentimes in the lives of well-known musicians and well-known movie stars and well-known famous people. Oftentimes they'll start off with almost a, a degree of success. They get famous. And then what happens is they get more fame. Then they get more fame. And then they start getting more money. They get more money. Then they get more money. Then they start getting toys. And they start getting bigger toys. They start getting houses and lands and boats. And all of a sudden, it's like they keep getting more and more. But something is still wrong. And then what happens? They start getting into a relationship. Nothing wrong with a relationship. Amen? As long as it's a godly thing, right? But what happens is, they start getting into multiple relationships. Then they start experimenting with kinds of different kinds of relationships. But then it doesn't just stop right there. Then they start getting into drug addictions. And do you want to know what ultimately happens after they get to this point? Suicide. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand what Jesus is saying right here. He is speaking to every single person here. Every single child of Adam. He says, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. He's saying the well of this world will just make you more and more thirsty. And you will find yourself more desperate and wondering to yourself, Man, I have to keep wanting more of this and it doesn't stop. What happened in that encounter 2,000 years ago is applicable for every single person. And when Jesus said, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again, he was speaking to every person here. If you drink of the world, you will have to keep coming back for more and more and more and more. You will have to keep coming back to different sources. But Jesus says something quite remarkable here. Look what the Bible says next. But Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. But notice what he says. This is very remarkable. But whoever will drink of the water that I will what? Give him. Will never what? Thirst. Notice the effect of that. But the water that I shall give him will become, now notice this, in where? Where? In him, a fountain or well of water springing up into everlasting life. Notice what Jesus is saying right here. He is saying this. Whoever drinks of this world will have to keep going back to different sources. But he says, whoever drinks of the water I give him, he himself, inside of him, he will have access to a well that will never run dry. 
And ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you a question. How is your spirituality today? Is it dry? Have you been drinking from this world's well? And here you are, you're wondering to yourself, man, I just feel destitute today and I can't explain it. And you're questioning to yourself, wondering why in the world am I experiencing this when God is supposed to be in my life? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. Maybe, perhaps, you've been drinking from this world's well. And Jesus says, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. It's an inevitable fact. You know what's very interesting? There was this well-known atheist, she actually disappeared... Her name was Madeline Murray O'Hara. You ever heard of her? Well-known atheist. Part of the American Atheists Association. She actually was uh, calling for legislation that would make Christian television outlawed. She was somebody who was very interesting. But after she disappeared, investigators were looking at her journals. And you know what they discovered? Over and over again, there was a phrase. And the phrase said this. Will somebody please love me? Will somebody please love me? Will somebody please love me? And Jesus says, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. Let's see what happens next. Let's read verse 14 one more time. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will what? Never thirst. In other words, they don't have to go to multiple sources to find this unusual, this great satisfaction. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a what? Fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Notice verse 15. The woman is starting to pick up on what Jesus is talking about. And she says, sir, give me this what? Water that I shall not thirst nor come here to draw. She's picking up on what Jesus says. Now before he can give her that living water, he first has to empty out what she has been putting into her cup. Jesus then provokes the situation. He says, all right, you want this living water? I got to do some emptying first. And he says, go call your husband. And that was a touchy subject for that woman. And the woman replies, I don't have a husband. And Jesus here tells her that he affirms her honesty and he says, yep, you're absolutely right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands in the past and the one you are with is not even your husband. In this you have truly spoken. He actually affirms her honesty when she says, I have no husband. What's so beautiful about this part is here she is. She's living in complete disobedience to God. And yet Jesus is still right by her side. Can you say amen to that? And it's not like those five husbands all died. Amen. I mean, let's not be naive about the situation like every one of them passed away. Or every one of them committed adultery. Apparently she was moving from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship. In fact, when she gets to the sixth relationship, she decides it's not even worth committing. And you can tell she's starting to feel something in this thirst. You know, I really love this story. I love it so much because when you're looking at this story... You see Jesus just having this wonderful conversation with somebody he is trying to make 
a friend. Somebody he's trying to make a friend. And do you remember what Jesus said earlier? He said, whoever drinks of this water will what? Thirst again. And here he is. He's actually showing the situation in her life. And he says, look, now I want you to see how this has been playing out in your life. And he says, look, you have been with five husbands, five different men. And then you decide to be with somebody else. And he says, this is what you have been filling your life with. And he says, I want to give you something much better than this. Much better than this. And this is where the woman recognizing, man, this person knows too much about me. She decides, right now is the time to bring up theological controversy. You know, oftentimes when God is searching our heart, that's the time we like to bring up all the the heresies that we can think about in the church. All the things we can disagree about. And let me go as far as to say this. Regardless of where you think you stand on this women's ordination debate, if your heart isn't right with God, you are in the wrong. Amen? If your heart is not right with God, you are in the wrong. It doesn't matter how right you think you are in this debate. This woman, when recognizing there was soul searching take place, she decided to do what many people do, including many Adventists, which is to raise up intellectual issues. By the way, we're told in the book Desire of Ages that the greatest deception, pay attention, the greatest deception during the time of Christ was an intellectual ascent to the truth. Do you know what an intellectual ascent to the truth is? An intellectual ascent to the truth is where any emotion is completely bifurcated from your spirituality and all you have left is nothing but forms and regulations and laws. Notice what the woman says right here. This is interesting. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are what? Prophet. Now notice what she says. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say something. Notice what he says. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She immediately brings up a theological controversy that had been taking place between her, between the Jews and the Samaritan. Notice what Jesus does. He addresses the controversy, but he recognizes the real issue isn't the theological controversy. Notice what he says. He said to her, woman, believe me. In other words, listen to me, please. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, what? Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He says, look, I want you to understand, if you are really looking for the truth, it is found with Judaism. He says, that's where the oracles of truth are. But he doesn't just stop there. Notice what he says next. But the hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to what? Worship Him. And those who worship Him must worship Him in what? Spirit and what? Spirit and truth. By the way, do you know what an intellectual religion does? You wonder what the effects of a purely intellectual religion? Here are the effects of a purely intellectual religion. And this is time for you to ask yourself, do I have an intellectual religion? An intellectual religion will always raise controversies. An intellectual religion will always cause divisiveness. An intellectual religion will always have accusations taking place. An intellectual religion will always see everybody else as the problem. These are the effects. And you can see these same effects in the Pharisees. 
Many people say, hey, don't be a Pharisee. And what they're referring to is, hey, don't be a legalist. By the way, that term is not found in Scripture anywhere. If you want to know what the real issue of the Pharisee is, it was that they had an intellectual religion. It was completely cut off from anything that would have to do with heart searching. In fact, when Jesus was correcting the the Pharisees, He would not even correct so much their understanding of salvation. What He was correcting was their behavior. They did all the right things. They understood the right things, but they had neglected the weightier matters of the law. And this woman seems to have been affected by this. And you know what Jesus says to her? This is what's so amazing. He says these words. He says, God is a spirit. And whoever worships him must worship him in spirit and truth. Do you know how the Jews understood spiritual things? We can understand the mind and we'll say things like this. We can categorize things in the mind. We can say, if you want to understand one facet of the mind, here is, you can say, the emotional facet of the mind. Here is the mental facet of the mind. Here is the, you can say, intellectual facet. You can say, here is the social part. And here is the spiritual part. And we can separate the mind you all you want. But guess what? To the Jews, they did not connect, they did not disconnect the spiritual from the emotional. To them, they saw that one is the same. That what affected them spiritually affected them in their hearts. And when Jesus was saying, He was saying, God is a spirit. What He was telling this woman is, look, I want you to understand something. There is something about God that you can relate to. Do you know what this woman was doing when she was going from relationship to to relationship? She was searching for something that was beyond the flesh. And so what Jesus says when he says God is a spirit, he wasn't just elevating God above sort of the the controversies between Judaism and, and the Samaritan. What he was actually saying was this, God understands your heart. Amen? God understands the human heart. He's fully aware of what he's dealing with. He knows about the issues that are there. He knows about your past. He knows about what you have cultivated. He knows all the things, present tense, that are in your heart today. And then what he says to this woman, he says, And those who worship God must worship Him with the same heart response and the truth as well. Can you say amen to that? Not just structure, but the infilling of that structure. Not just the form of religion, but the power as well. Here he was, he was appealing to her with an aspect of God she had not understood before. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to understand something. Sooner or later, false systems, false ways of thinking will come back to catch up with you. It will. It's inevitable. We can only carry a legal religion so far before it catches up. It burns us out. It'll destroy us. It'll destroy the people around us. It is that serious of an issue that God calls us to confront it and call it out for what it is in our own lives. You know, there's this Movie from many years ago. I don't even know the title for it. And I hate using movie analogies. But it's, it's the story of this, this man who, who gets into a contest when he was a, a teenager. And at this school, uh, there is this debate that took place between him and many of the smart people in his class. He wasn't somebody who he felt possessed the kind of intellectual prowess needed to take these people on. So he decides he's going to cheat. And he ends up cheating. Wins that contest. Later on, he ends up becoming a a successful person. 
has lots of money, but there's something that's eating at him. And it's just eating at him so much, he doesn't know what to do, so he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a rematch with all those people I debated with. I'm going to prove to them what took place. His teacher, who was present when he was a teenager, actually found out what happened. And the teacher was invited to be part of this contest as well, to, um, to mediate during this debate. And so he shows up, an older fellow, and that man is there wanting to prove himself, overcome any of these obstacles that he had failed in the past. And those same students from his past that he debated were there. One was into computers, another was, was an accountant, and I forget the last profession. And he was there, he ends up having this contest with them, and he decides at the last moment of desperation, he's going to pull out that ace in the sleeve. Pulls it out and cheats. And the teacher again from the corner of his eye catches the man. Everyone's cheering. All the, the, everybody in this, the spectators were like, yeah, he did it again. He won. Later on, the teacher decides to confront this man in the bathroom. Goes to the bathroom and there he was. And the man said, so what? So what? I cheated. So what? You can't prove me wrong. I did it. So what? I messed up. But you know what? I still beat these guys. And the teacher said, but you didn't do it fairly. And the man's like, I don't care. So what? I still beat them. And at that moment, there's a flush. And the stall opens. And his little boy comes out. And his eyes are just full of tears. And he's looking at his father, who he was once proud of. And the teacher says to the man, he's like, you really won, and walks off. We can still mess around with the false system of thinking, a way that we know in our hearts isn't right, but sooner or later it catches up with us. Sooner or later it catches up with us. God is calling us to be able to say with courage in our heart, I'm tired of drinking from the water of this world. And you can recognize that in your own life when you can think about things where you feel like, man, I'm just not satisfied here. I have to keep coming back for more and more of this. You can recognize where that's taking place. I can't tell you. You yourself know. It's that thing that Jesus is saying to you. You need to give that up and you need to start drinking of the water of life. Amen? Notice what happens at the end of the story. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. She's like, you sound like the Messiah. And I love this part right here. Who is called the Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us these things that you're talking about too. And I love the response of Jesus. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine that very moment? Her jaw just dropped. She is realizing she has been mouthing off, giving some sass to the Lord of the universe. And yet, lovingly and politely, he sat there. Not condemning her, but yet leading her to a greater standard than she had previously held. You know what's so interesting about this story? Here she is, she's living in complete disobedience, talking to Jesus, and he is fully aware of this. And I love what one author says. They said this, There is nothing more healing to the soul. There's nothing more what? You ready for this? 
to the sinful heart, then to be fully known, and yet fully loved. There's nothing more healing to the sinful heart than to be fully known, yet fully loved. It is the essence of redemption. Jesus fully knew this woman's soul, and she knew that he knew as well. Yet she didn't leave his presence in fear and condemnation. The only time she left was to go tell other people about Jesus, which tells you something. She ended up partaking of that water of life. Can you say amen to that? I love what Ravi Zacharias says right here. He says something very interesting in the book, Jesus Among Other Gods. He said, the Samaritan woman grasped what he said with with fervor that came from an awareness of her real need. The transaction was fascinating. She had come with the bucket. He sent her back with the spring of living water. She had come as a reject. He sent her back as being accepted by God himself. She came wounded. He sent her back what? Whole. She came laden with questions. He sent her back as a source of what? Answers. She came living a life of quiet desperation. She ran back overflowing with hope. Can you say amen to that? And I love how he ends it. The disciples missed it all because it was lunchtime for them. You might as well have the word potluck time for them. Amen? I mean, this is a wonderful experience that is applicable and experience that can be an experience for every kind of person here. And it's such a beautiful thing that Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 37, He says this, Whoever desires, whoever wants the water of life, He says it's not regular water, it's living water. And He says when you partake of this, you won't find yourself drawn over and over again into the things of this world. You'll begin to experience something you haven't experienced before. I want to end with this beautiful Desire of Ages quote. Jesus knew the wants of the what? Soul. Pomp, riches, and honor cannot satisfy the heart. It can't. You can fill it all you want, but you'll find it still being a vacuum. If any man thirsts, let him come to me. The cry of Christ to the thirsty soul is still going forth. And it appeals to us with even greater power than to those who heard it in the temple on the last day of the feast. The fountain is open to some. Is that what it says? It's open to all. Jesus is still crying today. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus is offering the water of life. He's offering his spirit. He's offering to do something for your heart that nothing else in this world can do. You may find yourself in a condition of disobedience and sin right now. You may find yourself destitute of spirit and even feeling you may find yourself even a backslider today but guess what Jesus is by the well today and he is calling forth whoever is thirsty whoever is thirsty let him drink let him come to him and drink don't let it be wasted water amen 
I want to make a special call right now. If there's anybody today who wants to say, you know what? I want the water of life this morning. I want the water of life. I want to invite you up to the front, you guys. This is a time that God is calling his people to partake of the water of life freely. If that person is you today, and you're saying to yourself, man, I am thirsty. My soul is thirsty. You may not even have answers. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand, Jesus will always be the answer. He will be able to satisfy the soul hunger of the heart. Nothing else in this world could do. And perhaps you've been drinking from this world. You're going to find something happen inevitably. You will thirst again. Jesus is offering to you this morning the water of life freely. Would you come to Him and receive what only He can give? And His promise is you will become a fountain springing up to everlasting life. The last appeal of the Bible is found in the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22. The last appeals by the Spirit and the Bride. Whoever is a thirst, let him come. And God will give to him the water of life freely. God loves to give. And who God is, he loves to be. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, God, we come to you just as we are like this woman. Lord, thank you so much that your grace doesn't push us away even when we are messed up. But thank you, Lord, you invite us closer to wash away the sins of our lives. To create in us a clean heart. Thank you, Lord, we don't have to keep drinking from the well of this world. But God, thank you that heaven's river of life is available today. Bless each person right now. May they sense your affirmation towards them, your love towards them, God. In Jesus' name, we pray and we thank you, God. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.